ridiculously awful. So I apologize if I have to cough again at some point during this program. Um, Chris Johnson, our pal, reporter Chris on, on Twitter. Crypto monogamist will, will not dip his toes in the Ethereum waters. Is Bitcoin ride or die? Joins us online right now. What's up, CJ? Hello? Yeah, hi. Did, did you hear what I said? Yeah, I heard what you said. I just, it, it goes in one ear and out the other with you, bud. Way cool. it be. I am a, I am a crypto monogamist though. Bitcoin yeah. is is all I'm I've got eyes for. Yeah, yes. Ben won't shut up about Ethereum every single yeah. day. He basically put his entire net worth, which as we know is a lot, on Ethereum. So wrong. that's the that's confidence. He put the Oakville there. riches on it, eh? He just that's right. He did. He put the, the it's been a good week. Yeah, if Oakville, just so you know, if you live in Oakville and all of a sudden, like a couple of years from now, like 10, 15 years from now, you're like, why have property values gone? This place used to be so nice. There's potholes everywhere now. This is ghost town of what it used to be. It's all Ben Ennis's fault. The, the man who owns, who runs the coffers of Oakville has run you into the ground. So yesterday was quite a scene, huh? Today. Today? Even worse? A scene in what? What am I missing? Oh, as in Tom Wilson. As in what happened oh, in the that. fallout yesterday of everything that happened with Tom Wilson. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that would have been a little bit more clear. It was like, well, it was wild, though, because that story was, I don't know, maybe the biggest story of the hockey season? Connor sure. McDavid's going to score 100 points in a shortened year, and Tom Wilson ragdolling like Artemi Panarin felt like a billion times bigger. It probably had more people... I mean, look, because it's a debate, right? There's, there's, you know, I, I have my side of it, but there are two sides of, a, of the debate. And you have a lot of former players weighing in, kind of defending Tom Wilson, or at least defending the league's decision not to, to give him more fierce uh, punishment. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to that. And, and I think, you know, Tom Wilson himself is a you know pretty – polarizing player because the, on one hand you have someone who's playing on the Capitals top line has shown he can can handle himself with with players be productive but then obviously there's this long history of offenses and and you know the fact that he skated on this one I, you know I was a little surprised by it. and then you have the Rangers putting out that statement which you know elevates it to a level that of, of discussion debate reaction um, because we just don't see teams do that in, in the NHL at all that's it, right? And this is what I wanted to talk to you about today is kind of the fallout because we've all put our opinions out there about Tom Wilson. And I actually thought, yeah, it was yesterday was more about Tom Wilson than it was about anything in hockey. Like when people were like, oh, it's about the player sorry, safety. No, it's about people hate Tom Wilson and some people think that that's a missing element of the game and it was a it's what it always becomes which is kind of like a culture war and it doesn't and we lose focus on most of the things that actually matter in it because we're already in our entrenched camps but ultimately that was the story to me was not that tom wilson did it not that there was a scrum not that there was people trying to litigate and, and debate whether or not it was dirty enough for suspension that's hockey right the difference was the ranger statement that you put out there where they made the pointed attack at George Peros and his job. And that George Peros is now such a household name amongst hockey fans, and it's not for good reason. And I wonder if you believe there's going to be any type of ripple effect that hits that department, and whether or not George Peros's job is actually in jeopardy, how the league views this as a whole. It might be, like, to me, it feels premature to say it's in jeopardy. I mean, at this point, what we have is 
we have obviously a very high profile team in the New York Rangers, uh, which is owned by James Dolan, which, you know, hasn't always had the best relationship, I guess is the best way to put it with the NHL head office, you know, expressing publicly, you know, their, their dissatisfaction with a, a ruling. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's a groundswell of support here to, to take George Peros out. I, I just, I don't see that. I mean, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that will, will, what will be kind of followed here. My guess more likely than not is, you know, first of all, they have a game tonight, which is yeah. kind of, you know, that, that'll that be part of the story here, what happens or not in, in this Rangers-Capitals game tonight. And then, you know, I do think that, that the Rangers will be levied some kind of fine behind the scenes and everyone will move on with their day and and we'll see what happens. You know, I, I think that that will probably be the end of this, but, you know, I, I wouldn't have predicted that statement either. So maybe maybe I'm underestimating, you know, the, the, the feelings out there. You know, I think that with any of these decisions, I mean, that, if you're, if you're, whatever you want to call it, if you're making these, you know, supplemental discipline decisions on behalf of the NHL, you're never going to keep everybody happy, right? There's always going to be debate on every issue. You're going to, you know, upset some teams with with suspensions you give out or don't give out. Um, and in, in this case, you know, obviously the Rangers felt pretty strongly against Paros. I think that that the league won't take kindly to them singling him out. But I, I just don't see this leading to his, his ultimate dispatch in the job. So I'm just curious, did you get a feel from other teams? Because, yeah, the Rangers make it clear publicly how they feel. Washington is obviously going to feel the way they feel. But when you were kind of shopping around and talking to executives or whoever from all of the other teams, was the consensus more siding with the Rangers or was it that the, the league got, got it right? No, I, I didn't find too many people, to be honest, that were, that were sort of neutral in this that that – seemed to, to think it was right to only give him a fine. You know, it, it, the same way fans or, or sort of discourse you see on hockey Twitter happens, you know, I think, and as much as, yeah, there are teams that would love to have a Tom Wilson-like player, you know, it, it's hard to ignore the history. You know, this is a guy that was suspended seven games in March, uh, his fifth suspension. You know, he's he's a dangerous player, and that was a dangerous play on Panarin. And I understand kind of the league's view in, in that, yeah, there's scrums every night. You know, you saw Sidney Crosby last night get involved in kind of a wrestling match scrum. But, you know, what happened here, I, I think it was a little above that. And, you know, one thing I, I heard from a couple different guys is that they, they really felt that the reason it was a no-brainer suspension type situation is that it wasn't a hockey play, right? Like, it, it wasn't great. It wasn't like he was finishing his check and you and I might debate about, you know, the, the degrees of to which it might've been dirty or not. I mean, it just, it was something that didn't really need to happen. And given that this is the player he is given who it happened against that, that there was probably an easy path, you know, I, I, I didn't, I didn't get as many sort of casual people saying you should be suspended the season or whatever, you know, like we saw some on Twitter, yeah, but that's... you know, I think that there was a feeling it was pretty easy to give him like a three game suspension, add to his rap sheet, take him out of this game. That's going to be played tonight try to defuse the situation and obviously the delete didn't do that. And now I think it does put the Rangers in this weird spot where, you know, most people are going to be looking to see if there's some sort of retribution, whether that's, you know, with Tom Wilson directly, or if they maybe target, you know, one of Washington's better players tonight. And, you know, that, that's just not a good spot for any of us to be in um, when we're, when we get talking about a game like that. No, that's the thing. Like, um, I, and this is what I said yesterday. It's like usually the easy way out is a bad idea. Don't take the easy way out. You know that's probably wrong when you look at your own life and your own job. When you're when you have George Peros's job, 
if it's easier, if fewer people are going to be mad, and the Capitals are already entrenched in their playoff position, sure, would they like to finish first in the East, I, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, are they going to be all that upset if Tom Wilson misses the, the final three regular season games? Probably not. I, I, it just seemed like a no-brainer. But to, to that point, do you think that the Capitals even consider the idea of, of not dressing Tom Wilson for tonight's game? I don't think so because look, I, you know, he's probably not afraid of whatever might come their way. And definitely not. you know, I, I think that they want to send that they don't want to send that message either. You know, I, I would think he's going to play and look half the time that, that a game gets built up and you know, almost nothing happens. I mean, I think that's entirely possible. The Rangers, unless they're calling someone up that I've never heard of, you know, for today's game, which I haven't heard they are, you know, they, they don't really, they're not a, a team filled with players that are obviously going to go and, and stir up trouble. Uh, so, you know, I, I do think that, that Wilson will play tonight, and and uh, and I'm hoping, honestly, I'm not cheering for for more blood or more chaos. You know, I actually just hope this thing simmers down. But, you know, I, I think it does put the Rangers in a tough spot because, you know, obviously they're upset that Panarin's done for the season. They're upset there was no justice meted out. They put out this statement, and then I think everyone's looking at them to see, okay, what else are you going to do now that you got this chance to play Washington again here tonight. Yeah, again, this is another reason why Peros should have just put the suspension down, even if it was for one game, because you open yourself up to the possibility where you're not going to be necessarily liable in court or anything, but where it's like, now you didn't really do your due diligence. If something bad happens tonight, George Peros has to wear that. If somebody does a reckless act and it involves and it react or results in an injury, George Peros has to look himself in the mirror and know that he did something that uh, resulted in this and, and that he was a part of it. And I don't think something will happen because I always look at, I guess maybe just because I'm the age of Todd Bertuzzi, right? Where I just always think, man, if somebody does something yeah, really, really stupid, knows. and the only way someone's going to be able to beat up Tom Wilson that's on the Rangers, unless it's this guy you never heard of, is if someone does something extremely dirty. Like someone uses their stick as a weapon, and that's the only way you have a shot against Tom Wilson. So... I, I just don't. I don't see how something plays out like that. I could see it getting scrum. I could see a guy, you know, maybe trying to take a cross check or something. But like, yeah, a fight, no, or something that looks like overly premeditated, no, because of again, Bertuzzi, which makes this so so unfair for the Rangers, where they're going to look soft or they're going to be under pressure. It's just an awful position that they've been put in by the league. I hate it. I hate it for them. Um, I want to move on to some Leaf stuff though. Um, couple of quick things. One is, what's your feeling on Felino? Because this has a lot of people holding their breath. Yeah, and I think it should. You know, Ooh, I, I haven't heard July. anything definitive, but it doesn't sound like, you know, we're going to see him play on Thursday. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get probably a better idea of what's going on today. The Leafs practice at, at noon, and, and, you know, there'll be some kind of update from Sheldon Keefe afterwards. But, you know, some of the initial sort of word I've heard is that, you know, he, he's going to be out a little bit here. Um, and But, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot, so I, I don't want to go too far down that road. But I... I Look, you should be concerned because of the way he left the game. I mean, there wasn't really an obvious incident. I know he, he slid into the boards, kind of went down awkwardly, you know, three shifts before his last shift. And then there was the, the, the shot they got on the broadcast of him, you know, stopping at Jake Allen's crease and then going off. But, you know, it's almost worse when you see a pretty innocent play lead to someone go straight off and be done for the last 27 minutes. So, you know, I hope the best for Nick. But, um, you know, it does seem as though we're, we're looking at at least some kind of absence here for him. Right. What's the what's the trickle down effect of that? I mean, it you, the hope is 
that Riley Nash is working his way back. I mean, if he misses the rest of the regular season and maybe the, the first round of the playoffs, maybe he goes on LTIR. Maybe that makes it easier to get one of those injured guys back. Maybe a Freddie Anderson regular season start. Is there a trickle down? Uh, the trickle down, I would say, is the, the optimistic view is the Leafs are definitely deeper team than they have been any of the last previous years. So, you know, I don't, I don't think it really hurts. You know, look, you just brought this guy in. I think where this is hard is that you know Nick Foligno is still getting comfortable. You know, he was so excited to play here. You, you could feel it even through the Zoom calls. He's done you know three or four of those with the media, and it just he's been so upbeat about. Uh, the opportunity with the Leafs. And so you want him to keep feeling good and playing, you know, just to get comfortable. But, you know, from a an actual standpoint, I mean, he's actually not eligible to go on LTI because there's so little time left in the regular season. But I do think that they have enough players to fill in capably for him. We do know Zach Hyman's been skating and, you know, maybe joins the team at practice today. You know, he, he's probably not too far off, assuming he hasn't had a setback from returning. You know, I think that they have enough guys to, to fill in. you got Nick Robertson down with the Marlies. You know, there's, there's, I think that there's a way to keep this lineup going, but really it's it's just more about it, it's at a lost opportunity to get Nick Foligno comfortable before the time you really got him for. You know, you made that trade with the playoffs in mind, and, and um, you know, it's just probably not the best way to be going into the playoffs. You know, having question marks with Frederick Anderson, having Riley Nash potentially not playing games for you before then. You know, Foligno misses a couple games now. It's it just... It's a strange season, and it's not ideal because their lineup, I don't think, will now be set uh, heading into game one of the playoffs. But, you know, the, the good news, of course, is that they have lots of players and options, and, you know, they have guys that they can insert, you know, when we get to that time, too. And, and so you have to try to find, I guess, the, the sunshine and through the clouds. Yeah, you've only got nine days from now to the end of the regular season. And if it's a significant injury, it's hard to envision him playing for a while. And, yeah, it's heartbreaking because they are all in. They got him for a reason. He is so different from the other guys on the team. And, like, yeah, they do have better depth right now. But I think when we're talking about closing games or the role that Felino was brought in here to do, it's because the Leafs really don't have other guys who can do it. And it's interesting that you mentioned Nick Robertson's name because he's going to be someone who I think is going to be popular amongst Leaf fans, especially, like, if there's a first sign of a struggle with Galchenyuk or whatever. But he's one game away from burning his the first year of his ELC. And I got to imagine that the Leafs are not going to put him in over the next four games. Yeah, I think that's fair. But you, you, also, you also have that option to play him when the games really matter in the playoffs. Yep. You know, like, I, I don't think that the, the contract consideration will factor in if they feel he can help improve their spot in the playoffs. You know, I think that they really are all in on this year. They're not going to needlessly give him that game. I, I wouldn't expect to, to say play the, the last game of the season in Winnipeg when probably nothing's going to be on the line. Um, but, you know, the, the, the point is is that he's sort of another bullet in the holster or maybe a better reference. He, he's just another option for them that I think that could help should they need it, you know, if they encounter further injuries or what have you. Um you know, they they just have way more choice this time around. Uh, that you're a few you're a few more guys from seeing a player you really don't want to play in a playoff game away from being injured, and I think that that's a better spot for them to be in. So um, we're days removed from Freddie Anderson taking part in full practices with this team. We're now you know we're in the final stages of this regular season. We're right there. And you said Zach Hyman's getting close to participating in some, some skating with his team as well. So the idea of putting him on LTIR, I guess, is out of the equation. And it seemed that that was the only way to fit Freddie in. Um, 
under the the salary cap at this point in time, bringing him off LTIR. So what? Where are you with um, where you think Freddie is going to get his first look and and how they manage him in these final couple of games? Well, I still think it's going to be in the American Hockey League, you know, because there is a conditioning loan that's that's eligible to them. You know, it might even be something we see them pursue with Riley Nash because he's also on long-term injured reserve, and you know, basically the the loan allows you to send players on LTI if they agree to the loan to to play at least or no more than three games and stay there for no more than six days. Um, and, and if you look at the Marley schedule, there's a whole abundance of games because they, they had a COVID shutdown. So they're playing basically every other day and they do have a back-to-back next week uh, on their schedule. So I think that there's an opportunity potentially to start them down there. I, I'm willing to be wrong on this. It's not something, you know, it's not like someone's told me this directly in their front office, but it just seems to be, the way things are pointing and you know i i think it's probably smart to do that too uh you know the, the game action is what freddie's hoping to get into you know we're getting down with the leaf season where there's not much time left um and so you know i, I think that that's that's probably the outcome we see with him i, I would think with zach hyman the hope is to get him activated and playing uh you know as many games here at the end of the season two or three or whatever it ends up being um you know, just to, to get him reacclimated to the lineup before the playoffs start. Who's this guy the Leafs signed today? Kirilly Semyonov? You just tweeted about him. He's from the KHL, but I've never heard of him before. Yeah, I don't know much about him, I'll be honest. And, and they just announced that signing literally as you guys were introducing me. Um, you know, he played in Avangard, Omsk, uh, where he just won a Gagarin Cup, you know, coached by Bob Hartley. Uh, 26-year-old forward. You know, so he's only on a one-year entry-level contract. I, I see it as, you know, on the surface, it's a, you know, Alexander Barrett-Banoff type of situation. It's, mm. it's cheap depth, no, no real risk. You know, get the guy here and see if he can play. You know, and and if he can't, you can just send him to the Marlies. There's no cap penalty in, in doing so. You know, as we saw with both Miko Lettinen and Barrett-Banoff this year, you can usually trade these guys too if if the fit isn't there. So you know, probably. You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. I've got no reason to believe that he's going to come in and make a huge difference in the lineup next season. But, you know, it is one more cheap option. And and probably we don't really want to go too far in this conversation yet. But, you know, as deep as the Leafs are this year, there's going to be real challenges, I think, next year to to fill out the bottom part of the roster. Because, you know, even if you bring Espeta and Thornton back or Endor, there's no guarantee they'll be as impactful as they have been now. You know, you're, you're, the, the hunt will be on again this off season to find players to fill out the bottom six uh, for for the Leafs, and and this will be one of the guys I think we'll be talking about being in the mix uh, come training camp. Yeah. So the the interesting thing I found about this guy is that I haven't, and normally it's not like I knew a ton about Miko Lettinen right away, right? But at least there was some buzz, and at least there was already leading into it like stories about the Leafs being interested in him and like the 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 courting of a player. This one just kind of came through, so I figured, oh, okay, is this guy, who is this guy? Is he the guy? Is Because every year there's that one guy from the KHL that we look at and say, well, this is someone who maybe he's going to be a thing. Last year it was Barabanov. What I'm kind of surprised with is why these guys, assuming this guy is pretty legitimate, why they keep choosing the Leafs when they haven't really had that successful of a track record? Like, Mikheyev has worked out. But it's also worked out to a guy who's playing, you know, third-line minutes and 
has been bumped down kind of his role of importance throughout this team from like where you look at what the expectation was a year ago. Never forget that when they were entering that series against Columbus, the way that people were talking about Mikheyev was that he was going to be one of the team's most six important forwards. And I really like him. I think he's valuable. I'm glad he's a Maple Leaf. I hope he's a Maple Leaf for a long time. But you go down the list of guys they brought over from Russia and how that lets – like even if you put Nikita Zaitsev as a success story – which I don't know if it, you really can. It's mostly been players from the K come here, they get a pretty limited opportunity, and then they don't end up actually having an impact. And that, like, Ozhiganov went back and basically crapped all over the Leafs and the experience that he had here. What do you think it is that is giving the Leafs this continued advantage when, yeah, it, it just, these Russian guys, or players from Russia anyways, have not really ever had an impact outside Mikheyev and one year of Zaitsev? I see it as three things in no particular order. One, the Leafs are a glamour team, big name. People know about them. There's an appeal. You know, if they're coming to you saying, come and play for us, it's, you know, I think that that carries some weight. I think the second that's probably the most important is they have a guy by the name of Jim Pagliafito, who is, you know, he's a, based out of North America, but he spends a ton of time in Russia. He gets to know the players, their families. They, they get a comfort level with them. I think he's a huge recruiting tool that the Leafs have used to, to get a lot of the players you've just mentioned. And so, you know, they, they build a personal relationship with the guy. It's not that they just start calling on May 1st when their their contracts expire. And, and so I think that that makes it a little bit easier. And I, and I think the third one, and, and it's sort of the counterpoint to what you're saying, is, is I do think they give the players a chance. I mean, even Ojeganov, off the top of my head, I think he played like 60 games that season. Like, he did get to play. You know, Zaitsev, they, they let him play. And even in Barabanov and Letnin's case, and I think – both of these were kind of impacted by having no training camp, essentially, and some of the weird COVID situation and the taxi squad and all the sort of different things. Yeah, they didn't get to play that much, but the Leafs not only found them somewhere else to play, that they they, they traded them places those guys wanted to be to, to go. You know, in, in Miko Lettinen's case, he was probably going to sign in Columbus if he didn't sign in Toronto. When it wasn't working out in Toronto, they traded him to Columbus. And, and last time I looked, he was playing significant minutes for the Blue Jackets. Maybe he resigns there. And so, you know, I think that the Leafs still have a decent reputation of not just burying you and forgetting about you, you know, making promises they don't keep. I think that they really look after the players as much as they can. You're not going to play above guys that you're not better than. Um, but, you know, I do think that all those things combined have still made them an appealing place to land. And, you know, for them, it makes sense. They're, they're going to have to keep doing this, I, I think, as long as they keep this core intact because, you know, it is a creative way around the cap. I mean, these players only count $900,000 salaries, which is just above league minimum, and, and sometimes you find value there. I mean, certainly Mikheyev was value, and Zaitsev, when he was on that contract, was value. Just that they signed him to a large extension where, where they lost that value. Well, I love Kirill Semyonov. He looks like a hockey player. I'm just looking at a picture. Like, that looks like a hockey player. I, I could not be more excited about whoever he is. Uh, CJ? And, and look, the Senators got a guy named Artem Zoo, uh, who actually looks yes. like a bit of a player. And, and I know in Ottawa, things are getting lost this season. But, you know, and, you know, Artemi Panarin landed in the NHL this way, too. So I'm not saying by any stretch of this guy, no. Panarin, but, but they're all lottery tickets, is the point, and, and you might hit. I think we can do some creative editing with what you just said and comparing Panarin <laughs> to whoever this guy is. That you put you him in the same sentence. You guys wouldn't do that to another Bitcoiner. I don't think you would, you would play <laughs> me dirty that way. You're right. 
because I'm still on Team Bitcoin, despite the fact that I'm diversifying to a little bit of Ether as well. But yeah, I'm still on uh, Team Bitcoin, which is up today, by the way. Cause it's yeah, you don't want to create drama because when we're all in the yacht club together, we just right. want to be friendly, you know? Like, we just right. want to have it be friendly, have our martinis, and yeah, just have it just be... <laughs> Remember when we worked in sports? <laughs> yeah, that's Ben's cool. classic, though. He's, he's got the winner in his pocket, so he's got to mix a few losers in when he's diversifying just to make oh, it around it. Oh, down. I can't believe you could say that after what's <laughs> happened the last week and everything that's been written about uh, Ethereum. That's fine. That's fine. You can, you can feel. If that you're way. judging your success on week-long time frames, you're you're in for a rude awakening five years from now. We've talked enough about crypto to this point, yeah. <laughs> but I I'm only slightly doing that, but a little bit. Uh, CJ, thanks, buddy. Talk soon. Thanks, you, boys. There's uh, Chris Johnson. Do you want to wrap up with some final Wilson thoughts heading into this rematch? Yeah. I do, because there's a couple of things. Well, we didn't talk about the Rangers statement yesterday. I got two things. It's like (laughs) the Felino feeling that he just outlined and how immediately just it, like, it was a pit in my stomach. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think everybody knew he wasn't going to play Thursday, but it seemed pretty clear that the implication there is that he's not going to play the rest of the regular season. At least. Yeah. And if it's something where, like, this is always the worst, is when you look at the time and you go, hey, they, you know, they, st- they still got 10 days. Yeah. If he's not playing, it's not something that gets better in 10 days. Probably not. Um, and especially if we're talking about backs. Like, backs are, I, yeah, that's tough. Well, did you see Serge Ibaka yesterday? Yes, he hasn't played in, what, like 20 games? Yeah. And you know what it is? Back spasms. Back. Yeah. Yeah, it looked good, though, in all the leather. I got to say that this is a definitely a I'm getting old sign. I don't have back problems whatsoever, but every once in a while, if I move a certain way and I feel that back pain, you know, where or you get yeah. tight after a workout or whatever, mm-hmm. I get weirdly appreciative that I don't have back problems. <laughs> you know, like that's such an old guy thing. Oh, my God. Thank you. You know those posts where it's like, thank you, Lord, for letting me see another day. And it's like that's me with my back every every day now where I go, hey, you know, I don't have it. Because the idea that someone like Serge Ibaka would be out for like most of the year now mm-hmm. because he's got back spasms and that he's got the world's best doctors working on him, it just that's terrifying stuff. Yeah, no, no. I my dad had back surgery, and he's got yeah. another appointment for more back surgery because that's the expression, right? If you have back surgery, the best way to ensure yourself requiring back surgery is to have back surgery because there's always a yeah. follow up with because backs are impossible to figure out. There's a lot going on back there. That's my you professional. Steve, ba- I still uh, have my story? fake medical license, so I can speak to this. That yeah, backs yeah. are one of the most difficult things to figure out. Do you remember the Steve Kerr story from a couple of years ago? He couldn't even coach. Yes, of course. Like, it, there's like nothing you can do. Spinal fluid no... was oh. leaking <laughs> through his body. But that's it. Is that it's something that you never think about until it happens to you, and then it's just the worst, right? And it's yes. just like you can't cure, you can't fix it. It's just you know, head injury is one where it's tough to really relate to professional athletes because you go, "Well, I'm not gonna," unless it's something completely fluky, right? Like that mm-hmm. gives me head trauma. I'm not going to have the daily risk of having that happen. But back injuries is just like, it's what, more common in real life than it is in sports? And you just yeah. sit there and you go, God, that's uh, 
that's a sentence that is longer. Like, if Nick Foligno's got a severe back problem, the odds of that not being something that he deals with for the rest, rest of his rest of his career are low, right? Ugh, he just again old guy takes. This is an old guy takes shop where we go and talk about the in the nature of backs. No, and for the sure. future of our and, backs. Yeah, and I felt the thing that you talked about. Where Bend like, your knees. I'll sleep. I'll sl- sleep awkwardly and I'll have back pain and it only lasts a day and I'm thinking this is yeah. it. this is the rest of my life and it goes away after yeah. like a week and I yeah I get down on my <laughs> yeah, hands and, and knees. then you go and and then you just go oh so yeah. people do that every day people just have, have the yeah. and that's why you see these ads these infomercials for things where it's like hang upside down and and, and you're like who the God's name, whatever, and you go, oh, people who are whatever in perpetual it took. pain, yeah. right? <laughs> it took. Yeah. Right. Uh, the the last thing on, I, I think we should break and do our our final Wilson thoughts. But last sure. thing on on Felino mm-hmm. is that yeah, they want him, and they got him to help him help them right away and into the postseason. But in a greater sense, they got him to help them get through whoever it is in the third round of the playoffs they get there right like and who knows they, they might not get through I like that spin zone rounds. that's a great spin zone by you the the time frame of man he's not going to be ready for the freaking Montreal Canadiens which would suck I, I, I like Nick Foligno and it am excited to see him add percentage points to the Maple Leafs chances in any postseason series Maple Leafs without Nick Foligno, like it's not like, well, you lose in the first round of the Canadians or you lose in the second round to the Oilers, and you're like, but they didn't have Nick Foligno, so you throw your hands up in the air and you're like, well, that's man, they're just bad. No, it's not an excuse to lose to either of those teams. They got him to win a Stanley freaking Cup, which is against one of the elite teams that they're going to face in the Stanley Cup semifinals, whatever they're going to call it, the conference championship in the third round of the postseason. It's not for these first two rounds. So he's got time. As long as he's ready for the third round, and again, like I feel like I need to do this because it's jinxing whatever is is obviously so uh, in front of the Maple Leafs as far as winning these first two rounds in the North Division. It's for the third round of the playoffs, Nick Foligno. The Leafs are 5-2-1 and one against Montreal. They're 6-1-2 and two against the Oilers. And they went six and three against the Jets. Mm-hmm. You're right. I think one of those Habs wins and the overtime loss were with Felino, and one of those Jets wins was with Felino. The rest of that record is without him. They need to still get that. You're, that is the. It it sucks because I want him to be at his best self, right? There's a case for saying, well, once you get into the third round, you know, what kind of a Nick Felino might you be getting if he's rushing back or he's pushing himself to get back or he hasn't had reps. Everyone was so concerned, right, about Nick Felino seven days in quarantine. Oh, my goodness, seven days without the team? How will he ever react to seven days without the team? And this is why I kept diminishing that was, hey, he gets to move. He's not quarantined in a hotel. He's going to be walking around, moving around, jumping on a treadmill, jumping on a bike, being fine. We don't know what state he's going to be in in terms of getting back into game shape here, right? So if it's a lengthy absence, I still it, it just it's hard to see how this results in anything positive for them, right? There's no freshness element here. There's nothing. There's no positive spin for Felino about his play with the Leafs. But you are right. If they do get him back at some point, that is what it's for. And that if they do lose to Montreal or they do lose to the Jets or they do lose to the Oilers, if a single Leaf fan mentions Nick Felino's name. They get put in moon jail. 
Moon Jail for you. <laughs> Thank you for bringing up Moon Jail uh, halfway through the program. Yes. Uh, we I didn't can... have fully. No. Yeah. But you can't oh, right really this like. Way. This is this is a team that was starting to figure itself out under Nick Foligno, and that changed the whole. That no, nothing, nothing. No, they got out goalied. No, they're missing Nick Foligno. No, Zach Hyman didn't have time to get back into game shape. No, no excuses for losing in these first two rounds. Probably need a Nick Foligno to beat a, a Tampa or a Boston or whoever you end up facing in the third round, and hopefully it's not severe enough mm-hmm. to take him out for a month, which is what that would be. 